Hey MedTalkers, welcome back to MedTalks, where everything biotechnical rocks. This is your co-host Avino. And I'm your co-host Satya. In today's episode, we'll be looking into biological data storages and interesting questions and applications about them. Let's check it out. So in today's episode, because we're talking about biological data storage, there's two main divisions here. First, we need to talk about normal biological data storage in organisms. And second, we need to talk about digital data storage. So basic biological data storage, as you all know, it's DNA. Like every organism has it. It's the blueprint of life. And in DNA, there's four main nucleotides that store relevant information. There's adenine, guanine, thymine, and cytosine. And these four uh, pairs and bonding group nucleotides make up all the information in DNA. So how it makes information is that they pair up in different orders and in different combinations. And these combinations tell the cell how to operate, what to do, and how to react to things in the environment. And Satya, could you explain how the digital and digital data storage works? Yeah, sure. So basically, digital data storage is uh done using binary numbers and binary numbers are just a single digit that can either be a zero or a one so you can think of these digits like uh, a switch basically a switch can either be on or off like the, you could like think of your light switch right you can either turn the lights on or you can turn the lights off mm -hmm. similarly a binary digit can only be a zero or a one so either an on or an off and that's how computers work they store data using binary digits right like images text everything is stored using the low-level language of binary digits. Yeah. And there's these things called bits, which represent eight binary digits. So eight binary digits in a row would be one bit. And eight bits make a byte. And for purposes of computers and data storage, we usually talk about megabytes and gigabytes, sometimes even kilobytes. And so those are just a lot of, uh, like a lot of bytes. So a thousand bytes would be a kilobyte. Then, you know, another like add another factor of 10 to the three, that's gonna be your megabyte and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But how do we compare DNA and biological data storage to digital storage? Is there any like way to compare it? Or is there like any common factor, common denominator that we can use here? Yeah, so there's actually a, a really fun fact about this. So apparently one gram of DNA, like the amount of genetic material DNA can store in one gram is equivalent to all of the data in a Netflix, like in the Netflix database, but 5,000 times of that. So 5,000 Netflix's worth of data is with, stored within one gram of DNA. Wait, so you're saying everything, all the streaming services, all the movies, everything, everything in Netflix. Yep, like literally 5, everything. Yep, that's literally so 5,000 of that, yeah, is one gram. And to talk about one kilogram, that's enough information to store all of the info in the world to this day recorded by mankind. Like so, everything, history, like history, everything history. dating back to like when mankind began, like all the data we created, everything can be stored within one kilogram of DNA. Wow, that's amazing! Like all of that in just a kilogram, that's like super yeah, it, it is very interesting. Crazy. Yeah, and so I think another interesting question we should probably address is like how durable is this sort of storage? Yeah, I mean, if you think about the common digital storage, you probably have computers, hard hard drives, flash drives, all of these things, and they have a decent amount of, they have a decent lifespan. Like, I don't know, I think the 
average lifespan is like 10 years for like hard drives. Maybe computers have a little bit longer Sure, or shorter, yeah. but I think the average is 10 years. And I don't think it's very, the lifespan is heavily affected by the environment because let's say you drop the hard drive in like a water source or it get, gets damaged under pressure. Yeah. Like it's all the data and there's literally gone. But I don't think that happens with DNA because all the time we hear with scientists and recovering fossil DNA from like fossils and like, like the DNA, they stay, they say the DNA is still intact. And that shows that in my opinion, I think it shows that DNA is like super durable. Like it can withstand like billions of years of erosion or like uh, water, um, water erosion, pressure, whatever it may be. Like it's super durable. Wow. So I, this DNA can stay intact for like even after the organism has passed away, like after its fossils have been made with layers of sedimentary rock, like it still stays intact to this day. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. that's amazing. So these two things, the capability of storage of information and the durability, I think these make DNA, this makes DNA a good candidate for like information storage. And to keep and to give the audience like a, a tangible representation of the data, you know how there's like a data center warehouses like for Google or Amazon, like these huge factories with not factories, but huge like buildings with a bunch yeah. of computers and like a bunch of like the the techie the techie like, yeah, yeah, like dream i guess yeah like uh yeah essentially like you said a warehouse yeah mm -hmm. and these like the, all the data and that all the servers everything uh -huh. can, with dna storage can be stored in a few board game dice like imagine like the whole thing it's like a couple of acres wide the warehouses and now you can store all of that in your hand in your in the palm of your hand so like, so like all this genetic data basically you're saying can be mm -hmm. like fit within your pot like the what do you call it the surface area of just a board game dice mm -hmm. yeah wow that's crazy maybe maybe i think it's volume but uh either way it's still pretty so it takes oh okay so you're saying basically all this data will just take up the space of one board game dice yeah and true. that's that's all it takes to store mm -hmm. all of this wow yeah that is that is crazy yeah i mean i don't know this is truly fascinating like uh if i got my numbers right the conversion factors from all that data that we gave you it translates to two digital bits as satya explained that eight bits make a byte so two right. bits equal to four dna nucleotides so as i said earlier these combinations of a t g and c four of those make two bits and just to give you perspective on how many dna nucleotides are in a cell, the human genome, like a cell, like a regular human cell would have 3 billion nucleotides. So we're talking about like 10 to the nine here. And that is like a lot of data stored in our cells. And that can be used to store other external digital data as a genetic source. So I think this is like, has huge potential. Wow. So all of this like sounds amazing. And to even comprehend the fact that all of this data can be stored, like you said, within a board game dice and like all these bits, like just two bits are four DNA nucleotides. And if the human genome has three billion nucleotides, that's, that's crazy. Like you said, a factor of 10 to the nine. But mm -hmm. yeah, so what I'm seeing here is like, this technology sounds amazing, right? But there also seems to be some, some limits to this, right? Like mm -hmm. to be able to actually go forth with this technology and you know all the resources and ex like expenses to just do this stuff it seems 
in the yeah. sense limiting to our world like i've sometimes it's like it's like really expensive to create data right like it's around four thousand dollars per megabyte of this data i've heard and it's like even expensive to read this data like one thousand dollars per megabyte just to like read all this genetic data and all this yeah, genetic information data storages and so like you said like one gram is around like what 450 tera- terabytes is that what it is I think it's trillion megabytes, like 450, huge. Oh, 450 trillion megabytes. Yeah, that is huge. So I think like this technology sounds amazing, but there are also some limits, right, with how mm-hmm. expensive it is. So like, how do you think our world's going to progress with these expense limits on? I mean, honestly, it's just the beginning of this field right now. So like, in my opinion, the initial startup costs and entries to the market are going to be extremely expensive. Like that's why the the cost to create one megabyte of DNA is four thousand dollars, and to read one megabyte of that DNA created is a thousand dollars. And as like as researchers and other uh, institutions, like research institutions, work and research on this um, issue and field, I think it will make the the capabilities of DNA storage more efficient and effective. Like they can reduce the cost by tenfold maybe, or make it even single digits. I don't know. But like, this seems, I feel like it has a lot of potential in the future, but right now the costs are the main limiting factor here yeah, for I, this industry. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And also this has an interesting correlation with, I think Moore's law, the one that mm-hmm. says like every two years, the transistors double, something like that. I think like, with if Moore's law is still intact right now, which I think there are some doubts about that, some scientists are seeing some limits to that. Mm-hmm. But if Moore's law is still intact, I think the amount of information we can store can just grow exponentially. But that's true. But then with that also comes an exponential increase in the cost to just create and read that data. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on how wisely we use our resources and you know what sorts of information we're reading or creating. Yeah, so, so yeah. the research going into this field has to be greater than the amount of data we create with this like, right. technology. That's the only way that can reduce the cost in the long run. Exactly. And as you said, Moore's Law, I and I feel like it's reaching like a limit because transistors are already like near the atomic level and like near the molecular level. And if we don't see like a quantum breakthrough or something, they won't get any smaller soon exactly yeah the amount of information that we can store is reaching its limit and i feel like that is a good incentive for the research industry and even the informational and information industry to try to change their methods and their data storage techniques and shift to a more unknown and like rare source of like biological data storage in dna yeah, if the scientific community and the research community as a whole can see this shift towards these limiting factors that are happening in our world right now, such as mm-hmm. the atomic transistors and unless we get some quantum breakthrough, right? Like if we realize that and start shifting towards putting more research into the effectiveness and reducing the cost of the technology we already have right now, I think we can make a lot of progress in those fields. Mm-hmm. And just like how economics teaches us, like if something is too expensive right now, people look for alternatives. And an alternative that formed from this is using another biological 
form of information. From DNA, there's other sets of information that can be used in the cell, such as proteins, amino acids, sugars, uh, whatever the macromolecules of the macromolecules of cells. Yeah. And mainly researchers are trying to use polypeptides in a sense, proteins and amino acids and metabolites, which are basically complex sugars. And what they're trying to use is trying to see the presence or absence of certain molecules to store bits. So just like how Satya said, uh, the light switch on and off, the presence or absence represents an on and off or a zero or one. And that is used to convert digital data into molecular data and vice versa too. You can translate molecular data to digital data when, whenever you need it. And this has the advantage that it's faster of reading the data and is also faster in creating the data than DNA storage. And that is probably a good enough incentive for other researchers to explore this field. But the problem is that this field is relatively uh, newer than the DNA storage field. And it does, it's not, uh, receiving enough funding so that is a current issue for the polypeptide metabolites field yeah alternatives like this are definitely like ever growing and they you know people always seek to find alternatives that may work better than the original such as this polypeptide and metabolite mm -hmm. digital storage of data and i think that with enough funding this this you know this research study and topic can definitely go really far and yeah. the fact that like we can convert from this genetic information to digital like extremely fast like that is that's crazy right we're taking something physical biological mm -hmm. that's in our cells right now and we can translate that into bits and put it into a computer and i think a lot of that can tell us about how our dna is composed and how the proteins like polypeptides and metabolites work around dna and how they interact with each other and mm -hmm. I think it can also lead to discoveries about maybe what sort of familial history of like disorders or diseases or even yeah. just familial history of like genes itself. Like I think all this digital data can definitely tell us that. So finding a faster way of reading and writing that DNA is mm -hmm. definitely something people are looking forward to. That's true. And like this topic is very interesting and fascinating, but like when would this actually be useful? Like, other than that, like it's super effective and efficient in storing data, but when would the common person or any institution, whether the government or companies even use this data? I think for one, they could definitely use it for simulations because let's, you know, clinical trials on humans are a very iffy, like gray area thing because mm -hmm. using humans for clinical trials pose a lot of ethical questions. I mean, you don't know if your experiment works the way you want it to. I mean, that's why you're mm -hmm. doing clinical trials, right? And if something goes wrong with the human life, it's very hard to recover from that. So mm -hmm. being able to make genetic changes on a digital platform and running simulations not only saves time and money, but more importantly, it can pr probably save human lives as well. So True. running simulations, I think, is one good use of it. Mm -hmm. Another good use, I'd say, is just to keep track of like familial history so, you know, for generations to come, if you ever have some disorder or disease, you might be able to trace it back to one of your ancestors. You know, mm -hmm. I'm saying this yeah. for like generations in the future, like people from generations in the very distant future can look back at times like these and see their ancestors and see if they inherited something from that. And maybe a cure That's could true. be found. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about I you? Also think yeah. that, I also think that this could be, uh, in addition to like the genetic and biological data storage, this could also be like a security issue here because we always see that these uh, digital sources are getting hacked and like are compromised of their security and integrity. Yeah. But these digital, uh, not, not digital, uh, genetic uh, and DNA di- uh, storages I don't know how someone would hack it or try to read it if they are not in the vicinity of the the molecule itself. Like I think it has a lot stronger security for like data storage, and it also like preserves the data extremely well. So I think this could be like used for secure company information, government information, whatever. Like where whatever information you want to be, you want to be like super secure without having anyone to know about it. So I feel like that's also an opportunity to use this technology. Yeah. And like from what you said, I think some of the ethical questions that actually do arise from this come from the fact that these companies and government are actually, you know, storing your data in the first place. I think a lot of people have like a lot of people have the concern that they mm-hmm. don't want the government or these medical companies to store their private genetic yeah. data. I think even if it's secure, I think like as secure as you say it is like even if it's that well protected and people can be assured knowing that it has a very, very low chance of getting hacked. And even if it does get hacked, very low chance of being read. Like, I think people still have a concern that they're not having the privacy because Mm -hmm. they feel that the government is literally looking into the code that yeah, makes yeah, them up, true. right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I think that's where I mean, some of that to go. Yeah, mm-hmm. not only the code that makes them up, their online presence, in a sense, as well. Like all the data that they use every yeah. day, what they share, post, like whatever, like their online activity, basically, is basically compromised. Yeah, and that's also like a problem in our society right now. Not just with genetic, like you said, like their online mm-hmm. activity, right? All mm-hmm. of that big data is. I think stored by the government like they can see anything you do online essentially Mm -hmm. and it's sure it may be private it's sure it may be secure but i think some people still have some concerns that Mm -hmm. the government is always watching them at some point so what do you think about the future of this like industry or research field like we talked about the limitations and benefits but what about the future like how effective or like how would man humankind use this yeah, in, so let's say 100 years. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think like before I mentioned like the familial history thing, mm-hmm. but other than that, I would say like given that we have enough money to fund all of this in the future, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd say like the uses of this could be to always have some sort of, how do you say this, like manual to refer to, genetic manual. Yeah, yeah, Like true. you can keep tabs on each person's specific genes and you can see how possibly evolutions occur mutations occur Mm -hmm. we can learn more about just biology and dna as a whole just from keeping a record of digital genetic information also another use could be also another use could be you know how there's like this uh like a a plants and seed like storage in like i think it's in norway oh yeah yeah yeah. like this just in case if there was like a the every some catastrophe happens and like everything was wiped out like to have like a source of like revival for mankind like oh the human yeah. species as a whole i feel like this dna because it can it's super durable 
it could also be used as like um, a revival mechanism. Yeah, like that's if, a... let's say if all the information is like wiped out somehow uh-huh. and then we can use this DNA that is super durable from many things and we can un like translate it into digital information and try to recover quickly from the catastrophe. So I feel like it also has like a secure uh, security and like a more like a beneficial role, potential role to society in a case of danger. Yeah, dude, that's a, that's an awesome idea. Like the fact that we can use this in a post-apocalyptic world where maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like most of human life is gone at some point or maybe yeah, even true. relocating to another planet or solar system yeah. in the future. Oh yeah, because it's expensive to take uh, like uh, heavy objects to other places. Like if yeah. you can take like a microgram of DNA, that's exactly. equivalent to like millions of computers. Like yeah. it's super efficient and... Like, yeah, I feel like this has a lot of potential. Yeah, like, imagine just being able to transport, you know, like you said, all of that genetic information in a board game dice to a different mm-hmm. planet and starting civilization there. Because, yeah. you know, we, we all know that the sun will eventually, it'll take a very long time, eventually will expand and, you know, mm-hmm. take the Earth with it. So mm-hmm. if we ever need to save human life and relocate in the very, very distant future, yeah. hopefully we have this technology available to us to build up society civilization like that's a really cool idea mm-hmm. yeah i feel like that's a lot of potential honestly yeah i know i've been repeating myself about its potential but this is like truly mind-blowing for me like it has so much applicate so many applications and it's super effective in what it does yeah the- and if we can just reduce its cost like it would be like good yeah exactly like the biotechnology field is a very very rapidly expanding field Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are trying to go into this field, which is really good because the more people we have working on this cutting edge technology and biological data, the better it is for us because we can learn a lot more about ourselves, biology, and we can advance our technology to the point where we can do cool things like rebuild human civilization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's actually a cool thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I feel like we've covered a lot of information and useful topics on yeah, this research field. This episode was really an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, if there's... Like, do you have anything else you want to add? Anything else to comment? No, I don't have anything. I, I feel like we provided a lot of useful information. Okay, cool. So, yeah, we touched up on a lot of great things. Hopefully, you guys found this episode really interesting and enjoyable. If you do, please let us know on our Instagram. You can contact us there or our emails. Uh, yeah, we always post episodes and you can stay tuned for more episodes coming out shortly. So yeah, thank you guys for listening in and we'll see you next time at Talkers.